Now, if there's one thing I know about myself and I know about you is that at times we all make assumptions. Have you ever made an assumption about something and you were totally wrong? Um, do, do you know what happens when you assume? Okay, I'm not going to just, if you know, look it up later. Um, but we've all been there. We've all been there where we've uh, maybe judged, prejudged someone or made an assumption about someone that necessarily uh, the facts weren't all there. Uh, we didn't have the story straight. And uh, how many times have we assumed something that wasn't true and we were uh, completely off base? And, and what, we're, what we're looking at is we're diving into to looking at God's grace and changing our perspective on things from maybe the way I used to think to the way that God wants me to think or how God wants to transform our thinking. And I know one thing about our hearts is that we tend to jump to conclusions and there's something about our heart, the proclivity of our heart to jump to the negative for some reason. And as we study God's grace and we look at God's grace, um, I think if the, the, the more we walk in that grace and understand what Christ did for us, um, I think there needs to be a change of our mind instead of always jumping to the negative and the worst case scenario and, and, and those things. God wants us to be just filled with his grace and, and to understand things in a, in a different way. And that's the U-turn of changing our mind from going right to the negative to going to God's grace and, and allowing God to transform uh, the way that we think. How many times uh, did we even worry about something only to look back and say, wow, I spent so much time worrying about that thing and it just never came true. I mean, can you imagine getting to the end of your life and just and, and looking back and, and maybe you've done that and you're like, man, I spent so much time, so much anxiety, so much worry about this thing and it never came to fruition. And there's just something about our heart that tends to go that way. And I want to look into our heart and why are we that way? In fact, um, many, many years ago, 500 years ago, uh, Michel de Montaigne said this, my life has been filled with terrible misfortunes, most of which never happened. Can I get an amen? I mean, is that so true? I mean, that is such a true statement. In fact, they did a study on this and they uh, and they researched how much of what we worry about never comes true. And so there's a study done on worry and anxiety that kind of goes right along with uh, De Montaigne's humorous quote here. But what they found out is they found out that 85% of what the subjects worried about never happened. 85%. And, and, and with that, the 15% that did happen, 79% of the subjects discovered that they could either handle the difficulty better than expected or that the difficulty taught them a lesson worth learning. So this means that the majority and much of what we worry over is not much more than a fearful mind, our fearful mind pushing you with exaggerations and misperceptions. And we all know that's true. And so why is our default to worry or assume the worst or not trusting people or jumping right to cynicism? And I think for, for many of us here, um, we've got some scars in our lives and I'm, and I'm not talking about physical, you know, physical scars that we see, uh, that, that have happened in our life. I got one on my chin. How many people got a scar on their chin? I mean, that's just a rite of passage, right? You got a, got a scar on your chin. Mine came from the Maplewood YMCA in Rochester, running up icy steps, sliced it open. Didn't tell my parents, uh, 
until they found the bloody towel the next day. Martin, what happened? I told them it was too late to get stitches, so I, now I have a nice scar on, on my chin. I'm not talking about these physical scars. I'm talking about secret scars or trauma that's happened in our lives. And, and how, many, how many just know when, when, when we think about those things or we have trauma or we have scars in our lives, if we're not careful, it can cause us to look at the world in a very cynical way. And what we can end up doing is lumping everyone into the same category if we're not careful. And once you've been hurt and once you've been scarred or you've gone through some traumatic thing in your life, those things can be prison bars that you hide behind in your life. And here's the wonderful thing about a relationship with Christ. It's not that that we'll ever forget about those things. But in a relationship with Christ, through God's grace, he can bring healing to our life so that those things don't become a chain that keep us moving forward in our relationship with Christ. And so I think for some of us, we have these secret scars. We have these traumatic things that have happened in our past. And it just holds us back and and it, it creates a cynical heart or this judgmental heart or everybody's always the same. Or I've got to protect myself. So I get into this defense mode where I don't want anybody to hurt me. And I don't trust anybody. And everybody's bad. And everybody's on the take. And everybody wants something from me. This is a very dangerous place to live because it can dictate the rest of our lives if we are not careful. So why is our default to worry or or assume the worst, or not trusting people. And we all do this. Let's be honest. When, you know, when, when my children call me on the phone or, or, or text me, why, why isn't my first thought always like, oh my gosh, my kids are calling me. They want to know how dad's doing. They care about how I'm doing. Why is my always my first thought is, okay, what do they want? How much is this going to cost me, right? We, we think that way. Our, our, why is our first assumption rarely not good? Have you ever noticed the difference between um, children and adults in the way they, they trust. Like, like children, you know, they, you could just, you know, they're just vulnerable and they're innocent and, you know, you can just tell them stuff and they just, they just believe you and, 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 you know, there's this trust. And then all of a sudden, life happens. We start living life. And then someone burns us. Someone says something that's not true. And all of a sudden, this becomes a scar in our lives, and it, and it kind of wounds us, and it scars us. And then all of a sudden, we start to get this cynical attitude. And, and maybe, maybe, it's a, you know, maybe it's a bad experience with a mechanic, and, and, and then you don't, we, we don't trust all mechanics. Or you know, they just all want to rip me off, and they're always trying to fix things that I, I don't need. Or maybe it's a bad experience with a car salesman. You know, they want to sell me things I don't need. They keep wanting to sell me these this thing called the hydraulic mud flap. I don't, do I need hydraulic mud flaps? Is that something that I really need on my car? Right. And so all of a sudden then we think all car salespeople are just trying to sell things that we don't need a bad experience in a church or with a pastor. And all of a sudden we just lump everyone into the same category. And all of a sudden we have this heart of pessimism. And all of a sudden we, we, get, we get wounded and we get scarred and we get very, very defensive. And, and, and sometimes we prejudge people without ever getting to know their heart. And I know many times we'll, we'll judge people's motives or why are they doing this? Why are they doing these certain things without ever asking why they're doing those things? So why are our hearts that way? Why do we automatically default to the negative, to pessimism? And, and, and now, before you think I'm going to get all Pollyanna on you, by the way, it's a great movie. 
So if you, how many of you have ever seen Pollyanna? Just raise your hand with me. How many guys, come on, guys that have seen Pollyanna? Me, I'm the only one. Okay, good. You just, you guys, I'm taking your man card right now, okay? It's all right. Now, listen, great movie, you need to watch. I'm not trying to get all, you know, love and potpourri and everything's wonderful here. But, but what I want to do is realistically look at our heart. I want you to see what Proverbs says here. I love this. Proverbs says this. It says, guard your heart above all else. For what does it do? For it will determine the course of your life. Listen, if we're not guarding our heart, and if our heart has become cynical and pessimistic, it will determine the course of your life. This is where God's grace comes in. It doesn't mean that that God can't use our past or use our past scars in our lives for his glory. But what it means is, is God doesn't want those past scars and the traumatic events that have happened in your life or bad experiences that you've had to be a prison that you hide behind. That actually God's grace can free you from that. So it turns from a heart of of pessimism to actually a heart of grace that God changes. It's all about your heart. Do you realize the thing that God wants most is your heart? Because if God knows he is your heart, he can change everything else about your life. Have you ever been in a situation and you've had a disagreement with somebody and they think they're right and they think they're right. You're just, all of a sudden there's this, just you're locking horns and it's not going well. And all of a sudden there's a change of heart between two people. All of a sudden God's grace flows in that situation. And all of a sudden it's not so much about being right as much as it is about, I, I, I want to know God's heart and I care about you. See, this is where we need to be careful. And this is where our hearts can deceive us so quickly. Um, Over the past year, we've just seen so much in the media and social media, uh, just jumping right to suspicion and judgment without ever hearing the whole story. Um, We'll take a, we'll see like a one minute video clip or an audio clip. And all of a sudden everybody says all, all their judgments and, and they fill in all the blanks and they think everything's wrong only to discover later. That's not really how the story went. Why is this? Why do we tend to fill in the gaps without giving someone the benefit of the doubt? And a gap, basically a gap is something we don't know. It's, it's a gap in the information. Now, you parents you know what I'm talking about here when your kids were young. If you have young kids, you've got two kids who are playing in the other room and you hear this crash, right? And let's be honest. Your first thought is always the one, that one kid who's always breaking everything, right? The, your first thought goes, instead of just checking out, you're like, oh, it must be so-and-so again because they're always breaking things. Or, or, or two kids are playing in the other room and someone starts to cry. Be honest. Your first thought is someone got smacked. Someone got hurt without ever checking it out. Or when someone comes late to work, we're always filling the gaps. Hey, they were staying up late watching the NBA game again. I bet you, I bet you, I bet you. So they came in late. We, fill, we tend to fill in the gaps, fill in the gap of information. Normally, our hearts go to pessimism. We normally go to the worst case scenario. Why are we like this? Why do we fill in the gaps with suspicion? Well, the answer is easy. The answer is this, we're all flawed. We are, we're just, all of us, we're flawed and we're born with this terminal condition called sin. And I love this quote because it says, we're not sinners because we sin, we sin because we're sinners. We're not sinners because we sin because we are sinners. 
We're born with this nature of sin. This is our condition. We are constantly fighting against our flesh. And so the default of my heart is always to take care of myself. And so if we understand our heart, our hearts are going to go to suspicion. Our hearts are normally going to go to the negative for whatever reason, whether we've got burned in the past, whether, you know, whatever that trauma might be. But really at the end of the day, my heart is sinful. And and Jeremiah describes our hearts so well. The prophet says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Right? Have, Have you ever had someone tell you or you hear someone say, well, just follow your heart. Whatever your heart tells you. How many of you that worked out real well for you? That, that, that doesn't work out. Why? Because, because emotionally we're up and down, up and down. Have you ever had a, a disagreement with your spouse or someone else and it's just emotionally charged? Discuss, I'll call it a discussion. And it's just emotionally charged. And all of a sudden you start bringing things up from the past and you start bringing up things that just don't matter. It's just emo- And then you, you wait a couple of days and you come back from that and you're like, you kind of settle down a little bit. The air of the emotionalism is now out of the room and now you can have a decent discussion because so much of it is emotionalism. So much of it is our heart and we get worked up without really looking at the details of why we're having this discussion or why we're having this disagreement. And so what Jesus does is he gives us the verdict of our heart. And, and he tells us exactly what's going on and why he came. And Jesus came to fix our hearts. And to fix that sin issue and to allow us to look at our lives and be honest with ourselves. See, the reason Jesus came was not just to, not to make you a better person, but to heal a broken relationship that we had with God and to fix our hearts. And so let's look at John. Here are Jesus' words. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son in the world to do what? Let's all say it together. Condemn, right? Condemn the world, but to actually save the world through him. And whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Notice notice the words of Jesus. He's saying whoever believes in him. He's not saying, hey, you got to do this. He's not bringing another religion. He's not saying, well, you got to change all this stuff. He's saying, whoever believes in him, there's a change in our lives when we believe in him. And so Jesus gives us the verdict. He says, light is coming to this world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. And so what Jesus does is he comes to expose the darkness with this truth. He comes to expose the motives of our heart and the motive of our hearts are evil. It's to take care of me. That's why the proclivity of my heart is to go to the negative, to go to the worst case scenario. And so when Jesus walked on this earth, he, he really exposed the motives of so many people. That's why uh, Jesus was liked by so many and hated by so many. And the people that hated Jesus were the ones who would not allow his truth to expose the darkness in their hearts. And those were the religious at Jesus' time. 
The self-righteous are the, this group of, of religious people called the Pharisees. The way you remember Pharisees, I learned in Sunday school, is fair I see. There you go. They thought themselves very fair. I thought that was good. But anyways, hopefully that will help you remind. And then the Sadducees were sad you see. They were sad you see. It was a whole song. I can teach you later. But anyways, um, that's how you remember the two groups. But they were so self-righteous. And they looked at themselves and they, they evaluated themselves by their rule keeping. And then everybody else that didn't keep their rules, they looked down upon. They were very judgmental. So Jesus comes in and he exposes their hearts. And he says, I'm going to show you the real person that you are. And you're not holy before me because you keep all these rules. Your hearts are far from me. And of course, they didn't like hearing that. He says, you may not do this, but I know what your heart is. You may not have killed anybody, but you have hate for your brother. And so all of a sudden, Jesus starts exposing their hearts with the light of his truth, and they didn't like that. So the problem is our heart. So Jesus then shows them the truth of their heart, and the truth was that they're more in love with their rules than they were God. And so hearing this thing and hearing what Jesus came to do, we have to realize that we're constantly fighting with our flesh and our selfishness and wanting it to have it my way. And really, at the end of the day, we do want to have things our way, don't we? It's that constant fighting against our flesh and wanting to have things my way. And so Jesus exposes the true condition of my heart. So the question is, how do we make a U-turn from our first response of worry and suspicion and judgment and cynicism to one that is grace-filled? Because if Jesus is Lord of our hearts, and he's filled us with his grace, then what he desires us to be is grace-filled people who walk in his grace and not allow this stuff to no longer hold us captive in the way we think about people in the world. So we must first look at the inclination of our hearts. We have to look at the inclination of our hearts. So my heart is prone to wander, and it, and it normally will wander to the negative. God's desire is to change that. So at the end of the day, Jesus wants your heart. I was talking with a woman who's been attending our church for a while. And she, she came to our church. She was invited here. And she had absolutely really no church background, completely unchurched. And so she started coming and just started listening to the messages. And um, I was talking with her not too long ago, and she told me, she goes, you know, Pastor, um, I never hear you talking much about cussing. She goes, I thought when I would come to church, you'd really like, you know, I thought church was all about, you know, don't do this, don't, you know, you got to stop cussing, you got to stop doing this. And she goes, you know what, I just never really hear you say much about, about, about cussing. And she goes, you know, I, I, I used to cuss a lot. But she goes, you know what's funny? The more you talk about Jesus, the less I feel like cussing. She goes, you didn't need to tell me that. You just told me more about Jesus every Sunday. And all of a sudden, I don't get as easily upset with people. I have more patience with people, which means less cussing. That was probably one of the most encouraging things someone has ever said to me. And I, and I began to look at that and I said, you know what? You know what happened to this woman? What happened to her is that God gave her a heart change. God gave her the Holy Spirit. Jesus filled her with his love and his grace. And what this woman needed and what all of us need is we need the gospel message 
and not another set of rules. See, I could get up here and, and just talk, don't do this. Now, listen, she realized through God's grace and through his love and his God, that, that that's not something that Jesus wanted part of her life anymore. And she realized, she saw the transformation. Rules will not transform your heart. Man, that was good. Write that down right now. Rules will not transform your heart. Rules can protect us. How many know we can follow rules all day long? And we can be a good, good little Johnny, good little Susie and follow the rules. But that doesn't make you a Christian. And, I, and, I, and I'm fearful. Listen, I'm fearful. Didn't say this in the first service. Listen, I'm fearful that we're good church attenders and that we can follow the rules but has God transformed our hearts? See, for this woman, there was a heart transformation, not just a bunch of rules transformation. Now, are they good for us? And do they guard our hearts? Absolutely. Absolutely. But rules, as we can see through the word of God, doesn't transform anybody's heart. We need a transformation from Christ Jesus and his grace. It's by his grace you were saved, not your rule keeping so that no one can boast. And so this, this is the inconsistency that, that Jesus just points out, the inconsistency of the religious at the time. Now, now, listen, this is where we need to be careful because we might think and we might hear this say, man, there is so much bad language in this world and you can't turn on the TV. And I agree, you can't sit in the grocery store and people are using bad language over and over again. And then, then we tend to judge those people that are using all the bad language. And at the very same time as we judge those that are using bad language, we're harboring bitterness and unforgiveness towards another Christian. You know what Jesus called that? Hypocrisy. <laughs> That's where we need to be careful. We can judge the world on the standard that's saying, you need to do this, you need to do that, and these rules. Meanwhile, I'm harboring bitterness at the same time and unforgiveness for another Christian. That's the inconsistency. Jesus pointed out this inconsistency, specifically with the religious at his time, and Jesus called that hypocrisy. And maybe you grew up in a house um, maybe it was a Christian home, maybe it wasn't, but you grew up in this house and you witnessed hypocrisy and you heard your parents and, and, and your parents were always suspicious and you listened to your parents undermine authority or you listened to your parents negatively talk about others, ba basically gossip in general. Maybe they undermined a teacher, coaches, anyone in authority and it's easy for you to turn out or for us to turn out the same way when we hear this. Uh, Jonathan Swift, off, author of Gulliver's Travels, said this, we have just enough religion to make us hate, but not enough to make us love one another. Everybody say, ouch. Ouch, that's an ouchie, right? See, th that, that's where we need to be careful because the proclivity of my heart is to go to judgment and suspicion and usually not grace. And, and this is what Paul dealt with in so many of his churches, that these churches were getting the spiritual gifts and were supposed to do this, but then they weren't really loving each other. And so the gospel message is what changes our hearts. So how do we fight our pessimism where we see more bad in life or our cynicism where people shouldn't be trusted. How do, we, how do we fight that? 
or suspicion. Someone is always up to something. How do we fight this the right way? So look up at the screens here. How do we fight this the right way? How do we fight this pessimism? How do we fight this cynicism? How do we fight the suspicion to fight the right way? We must consistently speak the gospel to ourselves. That's how we fight it. We got to continually speak the gospel to ourselves that Jesus came for sinners. That we don't deserve it and we don't merit it. See, Jesus forgave us when we didn't deserve it. He showed us grace and mercy when we didn't deserve it. And most of all, he loved us and gave his life for us in spite of our sin. Can I get an amen? Boy, that's good news. That, that's the crux of the good news. Understanding what Christ did for us changes everything. It doesn't let other people off the hook. It doesn't minimize what they have done. But if I'm not walking in grace, I'm missing the centrality of the gospel message and what Jesus Christ saved me from. And I'm, I'm telling you what, I know me, I know Barton Gerace. There's one day I'll do good and I feel like I'm showing a lot of grace and then somebody will just irritate me and then I'm judgmental, I'm not showing grace. And God's got to keep bringing me back to the cross and, his, and the message of the cross to keep my heart in line. My heart constantly needs to be in line. How many are with me there? My heart is just wayward and it constantly needs to be redirected all the time. And so the Apostle Paul gives us some great insight into how we are to live love out. And so Paul writes this wonderful chapter in 1 Corinthians 13. Many of you have maybe heard this at a wedding. It's not necessarily a wedding verse or verses. It really is, it can be used at a wedding. It's great if you apply this to your marriage, you're going to have a lot of success here. But the reason why Paul writes this is there's a church that were at odds with each other. They, they seem to be doing a lot of religious things, but they weren't loving each other. They were doing a lot of spiritual things, but they weren't loving each other. They were neglecting each other. They were getting in fights. They were suing each other. It was just, it was just an unhealthy, dysfunctional church. And Paul's saying, this ought not be. And so what Paul does is he writes this beautiful chapter on what love truly is and how love, when it's acted out in the church, how this is seen and how we deal with one another. Can I just be honest with you? It really boils down to relationships. What Jesus does is he boils down all 613 of the law and he boils it down to two. Love the Lord your God with everything and then love your neighbor as yourself. I'm telling you, if we do those things right, we're going to have a pretty healthy church and we're going to be doing what God wants us to do. And so what does Paul say here? He says, if I give everything I have to the poor and even sacrifice my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Here's how paramount Paul is making love. And so he explains, here's what the love of God looks like. Here's what the grace of God looks like in our life and how we live it out with one another. Love is patient. Love is patient. Love is patient. How many of you do a little patience in your life today? Love is patient and it's kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or pride or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It's not irritable. I have the spiritual gift of irritation. So that's my spiritual gift. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love uh, never loses faith. It's always hopeful and it endures through every circumstance. Notice how polar opposite 
Paul's definition of love is compared to what we see in our world today. And so Paul addresses this to a very dysfunctional church. And they were ignoring certain people in the church and they were not generous with what God gave them. They were even suing each other. It was just a very dysfunctional situation. So Paul writes this to them, say, you need to walk in love. And so what Paul is saying here is that love should be the motivation for all we do. It should be the motivation for all we do because God's pursuit of us was motivated by his love for us. God so loved the world that he did what? He gave his only son. So love should be the motivation for all we do because God's pursuit of us was motivated by his love. Listen, there was nothing in Bar and Drace that was lovable for God to pursue. But yet through his grace and his mercy, he pursued us with his son to win us back from a life that was completely alienated from God because of my sin. And so that's the reason why we're alienated from God. So I want to I break down what Paul is saying here and basically look at these characteristics of love and what that means and how that's lived out in our life and how grace motivates that to do what God desires us to do. So let's look at these characteristics of love. First of all, Paul said that love is patient and it's kind. So what, what, what he means by that is it's giving others the benefit of the doubt. It's saying, it's, it's saying something like this. Listen, I'm not sure what happened, but I'm sure it was for a good reason. Let me go there first before I go to the, all the accusations and all the negative stuff, let me go. I'm not sure what happened there, but, but I'm sure it was for a good reason. It's, it's giving, it's, it's patient. It's giving the benefit of the doubt. It, it's thinking before we jump to conclu- conclusions. And so I just want you to have this in the forefront of your mind as we deal with each other. That my relationship with you is much more important than winning the argument. And I mean, that is so good right there. I think so many times... We, we want to win the argument so bad that we destroy the relationship in the process. And so listen, we may have differences of opinion about things. We may be trying to convince other person, but at the end of the day, we have to say as brothers and sisters in the Lord, we want to make sure we maintain that relationship more than just being right. That we want to make sure that we're helping each other to see our point of view or whatever it may be, but to love each other through the process. And then Paul says that love is not jealous, it's not boastful, it's not proud, or it's not rude. So what is my first reaction when something good happens to someone else? Um, Do I have to one-up the story with the better story that I have? Or do I put others down to lift myself up, which is just a sign of insecurity? You know, so am I I truly um, happy when something good happens to someone else? If I'm not loving, I'm going to be jealous I'm going to be proud. I'm going to be rude. I'm going to try to have a better story than them. How do we treat others when things don't go our way? Do we justify our rudeness because we feel people deserve it or because we feel like we've been treated unfairly? And so we have to remind ourselves there's no provocation that ever deserves an unchristian response ever. So when we have a conflict with somebody and we react to somebody in an unchristian way, grace is not leading our way. And where we have to realize is we've got to protect our testimony in Christ. And so we, when we do have a provocation, a provocation with someone, it, it never deserves an unchristian response. 
And so I have to ask myself, am I getting just mad and yelling? And then I got to think that, wait, 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 wait. I'm a follower of Christ. I can, I can share my point of view without losing my testimony in Christ Jesus. Grace covers that. Grace will lead our way. Grace will help us to give our point of view. It's not having someone walk all over you or not to share what you believe, but we can do that in love and grace and allow our voice to be heard at the same time. And then love does not demand its own way. How do you respond when we have to forgo our rights for the betterment of the whole? And sometimes we're just not going to get our way. And so this is where we as a church can do a really good job because there may be things that happen in the body of Christ that we may not like. It may be a preference thing or whatever. And if I can say to myself, you know what? I'm going to forgo my liberties and maybe some of my things that I want for the betterment of the church so that the church may move forward. So I'm willing to kind of lay down my preferences as for the betterment of the church, for the unity of the church. And so I'm not going to be, I'm, I'm not going to make a big deal out of this because I want to bring unity to the church. Unless it's something that really is just out of context of God's word or unbiblical, that's understandable. But for most things, it's really just our preferences or our opinions about how things should go. And am I willing to forgo some of those things for the betterment of the church? And I don't always have to demand my own way? Do we become argumentative and divisive? Are we counseling at odds with others? And it may not always be the other person. It may be something in our hearts that God grace, through God's grace, needs to cover our hearts. And then Paul says, love is not irritable. It keeps no records of wrong. Literally, what Paul says here is, love is not touchy. And so we have to ask ourselves, am I easily offended? Do, am I argumentative all the time? How are we dealing with each other's idiosyncrasies? We all have idiosyncrasies. Can I get an amen? Right? We all have idiosyncrasies. We can all admit that, you know, that, that we, it, we're just weird in our own ways. We do have some weird things in our own ways. And, and it can irritate other people. Um, I call them tendencies. We all have our tendencies that can irritate each other, right? And, you know, there are going to be some people that just love to talk and talk and talk and talk. And then there's going to be other people who are just quiet and they're not going to say much. And, you know, how are we loving others through our tendencies? So what Paul says, he goes, love is not touchy. It's not easily offended. And we all, listen, we all have our pet peeps. We all have a way that we want to do things. But listen, love is not easily touchy. It puts up with each other's idiosyncrasies. It loves each other through that. Love covers a multitude of sins. And so, you know, listen, when we get in disagreements with one another, maybe it's with your spouse, you know, we want ourselves to be heard. And what we end up doing in those times is, is you know, our, as, as the you know, the discussion goes on and on and it gets more heated. Our voices get louder. And then we start digging up things from the past, right? To, to bolster our argument. Well, remember when you did this two weeks ago? Remember two years ago? Remember, remember 15 years ago, right? And then how many of those, how many of those arguments go really, really well? The other person goes, you know what? You're right. I remember that five years ago. I remember that 15. You're so right. I'm wrong. Will you forgive me? How many know that argument went that? Never, right? Because the other person, what are they going to do? They're going to, well, remember you? And that argument goes on and on. And it's just, those arguments never go anywhere at all. So, you know, do we tend to bring up the past when we get into a disagreement? Um, 
even when that thing was forgiven, love covers it. Love covers it. We're able to give each other grace through that and have a discussion that will help us to see each other's hearts to help us to move forward. And then, and then Paul says, love, love fights for the truth and never gives up. And, and one of Jesus' last prayers on earth that he prayed that, that, that his disciples um, would be recognized by their love for one another. That was one of Jesus' last prayers. And, and, and the world may be going one way, but that doesn't give us an excuse to stop loving and, remind, and remaining firm in the truth of who Jesus is. Listen, we live in a difficult world, and it, it's, it's hard so many times not to get frustrated and angry, but, but how does grace, the grace that Jesus saved us with, how do we live that out in the world? And I remember my dad showed me a, a great example of this when I was younger, and I was about 14 years old, 15 years old. I was a sophomore in high school, and I was taking an sh- uh, auto mechanics class. And it was a small engines auto mechanic class, and we would like tear apart small engines, put them back together. We would do oil changes for the teachers, brake jobs. It's great. I learned a lot. I can still do oil changes today. That's it. It's all I'm good for. I can still do oil changes today, but that's it. And um, so we learned a lot, and it was a great class. And and I remember we were doing um, an oil change. I remember the teacher was my geometry teacher, my homeroom teacher, Mr. Burroughs. And um, I was all proud. He's like, oh, I'll I'll do my homeroom. I I want to do his oil change because I want to go into homeroom next day and say, hey, Mr. Burroughs, I did your oil change. Woo! Can I get a better grade in geometry? So anyways, I wanted to really uh, do it for Mr. Burroughs. And what happened is at the end of the oil change, I was putting the oil nut back on the pan, and I over-tightened it. And I stripped it. And um, the teacher uh, swore at me in the class. And, and I was embarrassed, and all the kids were laughing. And so I was like, man, I was just really just embarrassed and kind of humiliated. And, and, you know, I really liked this teacher a lot. He, he was a great teacher, and I was just embarrassed. And, and now, you know, I had to be the one telling Mr. Burroughs, yeah, it was me that stripped you. Sorry, Mr. Burroughs. So, you know, don't give me an F in your class, you know. So, um, I went home that day, and my parents said, hey, how'd your day go? I go, oh, pretty good, except for, you know, auto mechanics class. I said, the teacher kind of kind of embarrassed me in front of the class. My dad goes, well, what happened? I said, well, over-tightened the oil nut on the oil pan, and I stripped it, and we had to, you know, fix it and whatever. And, and the teacher kind of swore at me in front of the class. He called me a dumb, you can fill in the blank after that. And um, so um, my dad goes, oh, okay. And I said... I said, don't say anything. I said, because I don't want to make a big deal out of it. I made the mistake. I'll get over it. Dad's like, mm-hmm. So my dad called him and um, talked to him on the phone. And here, here's the thing that I learned from my dad in that, that situation. My um, auto mechanics teacher um, probably deserved uh, what my dad had coming at him. I mean, he probably deserved a meeting with the principal. My dad could have went in there and said, hey, we're going to meet with the principal. We're going to meet with the superintendent. Um, I'm not happy. Blah, and we could have gone in. Here's how my dad started the conversation. He said, my son has tremendous respect for you. He says he really enjoys the class. And he, goes, he told me that there was a little incident. Can you tell me what happened? He's like, oh. He goes, I'm sorry, Mr. Gerace. He goes, whatever is, I had a bad day or whatever. He goes, I should have never done that. What was amazing is the next day I went in and my grade went from a C to an A overnight. I had no idea how that happened. It's like, it's awesome. No, I'm just teasing. And, um, but the way my dad handled it in his walk with the Lord is he handled it with grace. 
And he could have ostracized that teacher, but he went in and handled it a totally different way where the teacher did a heart check and knew that he was wrong. And so the next day I went in, he goes, listen, my dad, your dad called me. I'm like, oh man, my dad called him. Oh, great. He goes, no, he goes, I want to tell you, I'm sorry. That was wrong of me and uh, it will never hap- happen again. And would you forgive me? I said, oh yeah. And I, he was a great, awesome teacher. I, I really appreciate him as a teacher. He's an awesome teacher. But you know what? Um, God could deal with our sins so much harsher than he does. We deserve so much worse. We deserve damnation. We deserve punishment. And what does Jesus do for us? He comes and he dies in our place. Not only does he take our sins upon himself, but he takes the punishment. He takes God's wrath that should have been pointers, and he takes it upon himself on the cross for you and I. We are saved by that grace. People, we need to live that grace out. That doesn't, listen, that doesn't let, let, let people off the hook. How many know we all have to stand in judgment before God one day? We're all going to have to give an account for the way we lived our lives. But for those in Christ Jesus, by putting our faith in Christ Jesus and putting our hope in Christ Jesus, he now forgives us of our sins and God's judgment is no longer pointed at us. And that's all done through God's grace. God for you, God for us as Christians or those of you who are followers of Jesus does not want the grace to stop at the cross because all of us can say, wow, I get that grace and I love that grace and I'm saved by God's grace. But then we don't, but then we struggle. I do. Then we struggle to live that grace out in the world and the way we deal with our relationships with each other Let's be gracious to one another. Let's love each other the way Christ loves one another. That doesn't mean we never have discussions or that we don't see eye to eye. How many know that we can still have discussions, even if we don't see eye to eye, but do it in grace and love and still do it in the spirit of Christ and glorify God as we do it, especially in the way that we deal with the world. There's going to be times that we're going to make a mistake. We're going to lose it. We're going to be whatever we're going to do or not becoming of who Christ Jesus, that's a time for us to humble ourselves and say, hey, you know what? I blew it there. I need your forgiveness. Maybe that's with another Christian or maybe that's with somebody in the world. Maybe that's with a coworker where you just know, man, I probably handled that a little bit rough and I didn't show a lot of grace in this situation. You can glorify Christ in the way you go to that person or that boss or or that authority figure and say, you know what, I didn't deal with this the way I should have. Would you forgive me? You can be such an example of God's grace and mercy in those those situations. See, that's making that U-turn from pessimism and, and being cynical and judgmental to saying, God, I need your grace to lead me. Listen, I need God's grace right now. I need God's grace in an hour. I need God's grace tomorrow and the next day. I, we need to be people that are completely dependent on his grace every single day. And the more we recognize God's grace, the more we become grateful and humble at the same time. Because when I keep coming back to the cross and realize I don't deserve what Jesus did for me, it keeps me humble. It keeps me in a servant's attitude. And so when I make a mistake, and I blow it, which we all will, or I, I'm more judgmental, or I'm argumentative, whatever it may be. We all, we all make those mistakes, myself included. 
Doesn't God tenderly come to us and say, Barden, you were wrong? Barden, you can show grace in that situation. And God gently reminds us of what we were saved from. That ultimately we are servants of him. And that he wants us to live our lives out by the same grace that we're saved by. That's how he wants us to live. So let me give you this takeaway. We've got to realize that I've got a heart problem. And many times I've got a love problem. We, 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 We don't have the judgment problem. We're good at that, right? It's normally we've got a love problem. And we need to focus on Christ and his love for us. And then we will do a U-turn and begin to live our lives out by the very grace that we're saved in and by how we deal with each other. That's how God wants us to live out his life. Um, I wanted to uh, just, I want to close in with this song. Um, this is a song uh, that was written many, many years ago. And uh, if Andy's here, I'm going to have Andy come on up. I asked Andy if he would play this for us. Some of you may remember this song. Um, it was by Keith Green. And the song's called When Your Love Broke Through. And so uh, I called Andy and I said, Andy, remember the song Love Broke Through? You're old like I'm old. And I think you can play it. And, and Andy's like, yeah, 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 I remember this song. And um, the reason why I like this song, I, I, I learned the background of the song. Keith Green, if you don't know who he is, he died in a plane accident in 1982. And um, he was just a prolific songwriter, Christian songwriter. And his vision was to see thousands of young people go on the mission field. And he just had a passion for, for Christ and for people to know Jesus and for people to go on the mission field for Christ. But he's just a great songwriter. And um, Keith Green wrote this song, Your Love Broke Through. And the background of the song is, is Keith tried everything in his life. He tried Eastern religions. He tried all this other stuff in his life. And it just left him empty until he found Christ. And he said for the first time in his life, he felt something different than he'd ever felt in his life. And it was this love, this overwhelming love that he felt for Christ that completely um, changed his life. The reason why this song is so important to me is it's one of the very songs I remember when I first became a Christian at age 15. And I remember when I first heard this song, I was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is what you did for me, Jesus. And I know it's kind of an older song, but Andy does such a good job singing it. And I wanted Andy to play it for you. We're going to have the words up on the screen for you. But here, here's the thing. Um, the only thing that's going to break through your um, scars, all your trauma, broken relationships, is Christ's love. That's the thing that's going to break through. The thing that's going to help you to heal over those things is God's grace. And God's grace is going to give you that strength to forgive to move forward in him and not to hide behind the prison of your scars. It's, it's God's love that does all of that. And he wants to break through your heart today. And he, he wants to give you something that you can't find in this world. And that's his grace. It's a gift that he gives us. It's a gift that he gives you to give to other people, especially those who don't deserve it. And how many of us can say we didn't deserve God's grace either? That's when you know God's doing this deeper work in your heart. And so every time I, I, I hear this song, I, I think of when Christ first broke through in my life when I was 15 years old. And my prayer for you is that you would just listen to these words and let Christ do that deeper work in your heart as his grace pours over your heart and your life. Amen? Amen. So if you would just, just listen to these words, we'll have them up on the screen for you. 
Father God, I just pray that you would just speak to our hearts. God, help us to walk in your grace today. I know it's so hard because so many of us have have deep wounds that can just scar our future and keep us living in the grace that you desire us to live in. So God, I pray that we would always come back to the cross and what you accomplished for us. I pray that your love would break through the bitterness and the pain in our past or maybe in broken relationships. Maybe someone we see each and every day, there's this animosity we have for them and your love needs to break through in that relationship. Whatever you do, God, I pray that you would work this into each and every one of our hearts and let us come back to your grace again that we're saved by and help us to live it out each and every day in our lives. We love you, we thank you, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.